Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. By our communities and and to, there are people that are struggling, and so they're, they're developing programs and, and institutions to ha- try to help people to overcome different, different obstacles that they face. And, and, and this effort by our society is evident by the growing number of programs in our communities. Probably one of the most famous one that we all know of is the AA. Alcoholics Anonymous, their whole mission, their whole goal is to uh, help people to, that are uh, bound by the addiction of alcoholism to overcome that abuse and to somehow live some sort of a normal um, 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 a substance abuse free life. And so they get together and they talk about their problems and try to figure things out, but they are just one if, of, if not thousands of other substance abuse programs or psychiatrists or um, whatever types of programs you could, uh, therapists that are there in our, in our community outside of the church doors that are trying to help people to overcome problems. And I think that th- this is actually a good thing because the truth is, the older that this world becomes, the worse it's going to get. I mean, it's not, we're not, uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that we're not, that, that we are moving away from righteousness, not towards righteousness. Amen. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of, of, of knowledge to realize that we as a world are not moving in the right direction. Amen. I, I grew up listening to sermons about how there was going to be a day when uh, people were going to call good evil and they were going to call evil good. And I, I honestly can remember not being able to even comprehend ever being a time where things that are evil would be called good. But guess what? It's happening today. It's where we're living today. And as this world is getting older, the more issues we are facing, the more unrighteousness, the more heartache, the more problems that we are facing. And so all of these programs are coming up into our society, and they almost have the same idea or concept of how to work. And that is they believe that we get together with people who are experiencing the exact same problems we are facing, or we get together with people who are knowledgeable in the things that we are facing, and we begin to unload ourselves and begin to confide in them. And if I can use the the Bible terms, cast your cares upon each other, and that this accountability and this unity, this bond that is forged will help people to have accountability in their lives that will cause them to rise above whatever addiction or problem that they are facing in life. And I think it's a good thing in all honesty. I'm thankful for every program that is legitimately trying to help Pro, uh, people overcome their problems. They almost have the right idea. They, they're very close. They have almost the right concept, but unfortunately they're missing one element, and that is the who. Amen. Because what we really need in this world is not more programs, not more substance abuse uh, therapists or anything like that. But what this world really needs is some more Jesus. Amen. Because he is the answer to every issue, the answer to every problem, the answer to every heartache, the answer to every addiction that we face in life. If this world would realize that we can cast our cares upon him, 
It is Jesus who cares for us, and he is the one who's able to deliver us. He is the one who's able to take away any addiction. Amen. Our God is not a band-aid that covers up our problems that we face in life, but he is a healer. He is a deliverer. He is the one who completely removes sin or obstacles from our life. So what we need in life is more Jesus. Not our own understanding, leaning not, lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our path. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon is waiting at the well of Herod for God to send them into battle against the Midianites. And in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2, God speaks to Gideon. And this is what he tells him. He says, the, uh, the people that are with thee are too many. For me to give the Midianites into thy, their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand hath saved me. Now, let me kind of give you my own interpretation of this scripture. God speaks to Gideon, and this is what he tells him. He says, You cannot go into battle against the Midianites because your army is too big. Too many members in your military. They're too powerful. They're too strong. And you cannot go into battle against the Midianites because if you come out victorious, you will vaunt yourself. You will become prideful. You will puff yourself up. And you will say, the reason why we are victorious is because my own hand hath saved me. And God was wanting Israel and Gideon to realize that victory is not self-produced. Victory is not a product of our own selves, but it is always a product of our God. And so God tells Gideon, tell everyone who's fearful and afraid to depart. 22,000 soldiers left, leaving only 10,000. Guess what, Gideon, there's still too many. Go down the water. We're going to try them there. And God says to Gideon, those that get down on their face and lap of the water with their tongue as a dog lappeth, you're going to set them by themselves and likewise, those that bow down upon their knees to drink, you're going to set them by themselves. Well, there was 9,700 soldiers who bowed upon their knees to drink, leaving 300 soldiers that got down on their face and began to lap of the water with their tongue as a dog would lap water. And God said this to Gideon. He said, it would be by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you? And deliver the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, every man unto his own place. So now this army of over 30,000 strong has just dwindled down to 300 men in Gideon. Listen to how do they go to battle. As far as we know, they didn't bring their swords. I mean, they could have. I don't know. The Bible doesn't go into details. I like to think they didn't. But that's just me. As far as we know, they didn't put on their armor, bring shields and bows and arrows or anything like that. The only thing the Bible tells us is that in one hand, they held a trumpet. And in the other hand, they held a torch that they had lit on fire. Then they covered that torch with a pitcher so that the light could not be seen. And the army of Israel went to the rim of the valley where the Midianites were camped at nighttime. And they went there, and the Midianites were in the valley. And the army surrounded that valley on top of the rim. And when everyone was in their proper place, the word was given, and they began to blow on their trumpets. They broke the pitchers. They let the light shine, and they also began to shout, out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Church, this was their battle tactics that night. Now, I am 
not 100% sure, but I'm fairly confident that right now in Washington, D.C., in the Pentagon, they are not discussing Judges chapter 7 of how we're going to defeat our next enemy. Because this makes no sense. I cannot logically explain to you how blowing trumpets and lifting up torches and yelling could bring victory over a mighty, massive military power. I cannot explain it to you. But something happened there in the valley of the Midianites. They heard the commotion. They flew out of their tents. They saw fire all around them on the rim of the valley. And so they drew out their sword and they began to charge at the person who was in front of them. Just happened to be their fellow soldier from the tent, you know, across from them. And the armies of the Midianites down there in the valley went to war against themselves until they utterly destroyed themselves without one Israelite ever lifting up a sword in the battlefield. Amen. Why is this important for us here today? Amen. It's important because not one Israelite could leave that battlefield that day and say it was because I am so skilled with a sword that our enemy was defeated. Not one Israelite could say it's because I am so accurate with a bow and an arrow that our enemy was defeated. Not one general could say it's because of my superior battle tactics that our enemy was defeated. Not one Israelite could ever take any glory or take any credit or receive any, any type of accolades because of the victory that happened in that place that day. Because not one person was really involved. The victory belonged to God. And I am pre- Preaching to us here tonight as a reminder that if we are going to overcome this world, if we are going to defeat the enemy, we cannot do it by our own hand. It is not my own hand that has saved me. I cannot be saved by my own self-righteousness. I cannot overcome this world by my own uh, uh, self-holiness like the Pharisees would have had. I can't produce victory in myself. It is not my own hand that has saved me. But I can overcome, not by my might, not by my strength, not by my own abilities, not by my courage, not by my uh, my intellect, but I can through his spirit. Through his spirit we can overcome. It's not my own hand that has saved me. What a testimony they had there in Judges chapter 7. Amen. It wasn't my own, my own hand that saved me. Amen. But God worked in me and God delivered our enemy and God is the one who defeated all of our enemies that night. It wasn't my own hand that saved me, but it was the hand of the Almighty God who worked in my life and brought victory into me. See, our fight today, it's not a physical battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But the truth is we are in a battle and it's a spiritual battle. It's a war over our very own souls. And the truth is, we'll say I have some bad news and some good news. Bad news is we cannot overcome this world. Dramatic pause there. The good news is we can overcome this world through him. Amen. I hope you never get tired of hearing your pastor preach about surrendering. Amen, because when we surrender, what are we doing? We're just acknowledging it's not my own hand that saves me. Amen, I can't do this by myself. 
I can't overcome this world. I can't, I can't bring victory into my own life. But when we surrender to him, what we're saying is, God, it's not my own hand that saves me. And if I'm going to overcome, if I'm going to be victorious, if I'm going to be saved, it's you that's going to have to step into my life and make a way where there seems to be no way. It's not my own hand that has saved me. See, it is God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sin, it was God who hath quickened us, made us alive again together with Christ. Paul writing to Timothy says, who hath saved us and he has called us with an unholy calling. Not according to our own works, not my own hand that has saved me, but according to his own purpose and grace. Neither is there salvation in any other. It's not my own hand. And put, no, please don't put your trust in me. <laughs> don't put your trust in yourself. But neither is there salvation in any other. Amen. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than Jesus Christ. So how do we overcome? If we can't do it, isn't that encouraging? I just told you, you can't do it. How do we overcome? If it's impossible for us to do it, how do we overcome John, the revelator in Revelation chapter 12, sees a vision in heaven. And he is seeing the day of salvation, when salvation comes to a completion. Now, I think we hopefully all here understand that this is a tremendous opportunity that, you are, that we're in, this day and age. You know, we call it the dispensation of grace. Amen. what that simply means is if you need salvation, you can get it today. You are in the time where at any moment God can fill you with his spirit. He can fill you with his liberating power that will transform you like we sang about in our two songs today. Which are very fitting with what I'm preaching in a little, well, I'm getting there. Amen. This is a big airplane that's taken off. We'll get there. Amen. Amen. John is seeing the day of salvation. See, while we are here, you can receive the Holy Ghost today, but you also have in the same day the opportunity to live for him, but you also have the opportunity to walk away from him. This is not heaven. We're not there yet. And we could find ourselves being like Demas who would forsake Paul, but more than that, forsake the truth and leave the truth because he loved the pleasures of this world better than the, the pleasures of Christ. So while we are here right now, we like to talk that we're saved, but this is not heaven. That we got to live right. We got we to watch and be prepared and be ready. Because the bridegroom is coming. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we've got to be ready for his coming. But John is seeing in, judge, in, um, in um, uh, Revelation 12 the day of salvation, when salvation has come to a completion. And he starts off by saying, I heard a loud voice in heaven. This is Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now is come salvation. It's come to completion. And the strength and the kingdom of our God, it's there in the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, is cast down which accused them before God day and night. So this is the day where the brethren are there. Satan is cast down, therefore rendered powerless. No more temptation, no more tears, no more heartache, no more sickness. We're in eternity with Christ forevermore. Satan is powerless. No more temptation. No more ability to accuse the brethren. Well, who are the brethren? Who's in heaven around the throne in salvation, the day of salvation. 
when salvation will be completed and the church will be there. Well, who are these individuals that Satan was so obsessed with that he is known as the accuser of those brethren, just like he did to Job all the way back in the, which Job took place in the book of Genesis. He went and accused Job for serving God because of the blessings and for the protection and the wealth that he had. And so don't, 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 don't think in yourself that he's only been the accuser of one man, Job. But here it is all the way when he's rendered powerless and cast down that he is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. Well, who are those people? Who's in heaven? Around the throne room with, with Jesus. The Bible tells us in the next verse they were overcomers. And the Bible tells us exactly how they overcame it says they overcame him, speaking of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And because of that, they loved their lives not unto death. Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, they were willing to die for Christ. They became martyrs. They said, I'm, uh, I, I will die for Christ. I will give my life for him because of the blood and because of their own testimony, the word of their testimony. See, ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, blood has become a requirement. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin or the effect of sin in our lives is death. So therefore, once sin entered into this world, death entered into this world. And the only way around this problem of sin is something has to die. There has to be the shedding of blood. There has to be a sacrifice. This is why they emphasize sacrifice so much throughout the Old Testament. Because the Jews understood that if God was ever going to forgive them, if he was ever going to roll their sins back, they would have to have that blood sacrifice and that high priest would have to go into the holies of holies on the day of atonement and seek for God's forgiveness. They'd have to repeat that process every single year. Once we get to the New Testament, the message doesn't change. The wages of sin is still death today. Death and blood are still a requirement today. But there is one thing that changes in the New Testament, and that's the actual sacrifice. See, it is neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but it is by his own blood. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. See, it is not my own hand that has saved me, amen, today, but he gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Church, I'm wanting to encourage us here today, amen, that it is possible for us to overcome this world today. It won't be because of our own hand. It won't be because of our own abilities, but we can overcome this world because while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. While I was walking according to my own flesh, he died for me. While I was out doing my own thing, fulfilling the lust of my own flesh, Christ robed himself in flesh, and he died on a cross, and he rose again on that third day, and he ascended into heaven so that you and I could have life. He gave his life for us so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. See, it is not my own hand that saved us here today, but we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's not my own hand that has saved me, but we overcome by the blood of the lamb. So we have redemption through his grace. 
Redemption simply is the purchase back of something that has been lost. Or you could say that the price has already been paid. Amen. Don't you like it when you go into a restaurant, you eat a good meal, you take your bill up to the lady or whoever it is, you say, I want to pay for my bill, and someone says, someone has already taken care of it. Does that make you feel good? It's like, wow, I actually behaved today. Somebody thought I left a good impression, you know? It makes you feel good because the price has already been paid. Amen. Well, that's redemption. That's what Christ did for you and I. See, we have a penalty of death on us because the wages of sin is death. But Christ became our sacrifice. He is the one who gave his life for us so that we do not have to die. Amen. It's, it's like a judge who finds someone guilty for their crimes. It's like God is our judge, our righteous judge. And he finds us guilty for breaking his laws. Amen. But yet, even though we are found guilty, he, he becomes our sacrifice. He takes on the death penalty for us. Amen. See, God is a spirit, and a spirit cannot die. Amen. Our judge who is God, which is a spirit, cannot die. But when he saw us in our need of redemption, when he saw us in sin, he became flesh. He robed himself in flesh. He took off his judicial robe and he put on a robe of flesh. He put on something that could bleed. He put on something that could be hung on a cross. He put on something that had lungs in the chest that could start and finish. He put on something that feet that nails could be driven through the feet and the hands of. He put on something that looked exactly like you and I. He became our sacrifice. And because of that, we can overcome. Because of what he did, we can overcome. And almost all things by the law are purged with blood and without the shedding of blood. Speaking of Jesus Christ, there is no remission. Do you realize that if it wasn't for what Christ did for us on Calvary when we were baptized, it would, it would be nothing if he didn't do it for us. Amen. We were just getting in the worst bath in our life. But because he died for us, we now can have remission of sins. Amen. Because he was buried, because he died, we can have forgiveness of sins. There's death in our lives. Amen. We can repent. And because he was buried, we can be buried with him in baptism. Amen. And have the old man, the old sinful flesh, washed away away the remission or the complete removal of sin it's not my own hand that has saved me but it's because of what he accomplished on calvary that causes me to be able to rise above the filthiness of this world be an overcomer let me ask you a question you can answer out loud it'll give me a little bit of a water break here what can wash away my sins amen what can make me whole again? Anyone know the answer to that question? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I see. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I plea. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can erase all my sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not of works. It's not my own hand. It's all of grace. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all of my hope and my peace. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all of my righteousness. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is that flow. It washes me white as snow. There's no other fountain. 
I know. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, it is the blood that covers all of our past mistakes. It is the blood that purges us from all iniquity. It is the blood that sustains us and keeps us holy and righteous, not because of our own hand, but because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us on Calvary. Amen. Oh, it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood that gives me strength every single day. And that blood will never, never, never lose its power. Amen. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for what he did for us, we would all be lost. We would all be destitute. We would be bound by the things of this world. But because he shed his blood for you and I, we can overcome. We can overcome. Amen. She's the blood. But in the vision John sees, he says, it's for by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. See, you need a testimony. You have to have your own testimony. You can't rely on grandma's testimony. But each and every one of us need to become a first generation, born again, apostolic. We need to get our own testimony. Hey man, I, I could spend a lot of time, and I have my, my, my cousin uh, Anita here. We could go through our history and tell tremendous stories of what God did in the Thompson side of, of the family and also in, in the Wayland Parker side of the family. Hey Amen. We could talk about it. We could, I, I could go tell you stories, but guess what? I cannot rely on their testimony. I've got to get my own testimony. May I, may I be bold for just one second? If you do not have a testimony... I would even question whether or not you have Jesus. Because when Jesus gets a hold of someone's life, he never leaves them the same. He did not die on Calvary. Was, he was not buried in the tomb and rose again on that third day so that we would remain the same old people, nasty, sinful creatures that we've always been. But he rose again so that we could rise to walk in newness of life. Not the same old life, but newness of life. You have to have a testimony. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand it, so he had to break it down easy for him. you got to be born again of water and of the Spirit, or you will not see or enter into the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say be the reason why. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But you have to have a testimony. You have to have the proof of God in you because that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Flesh cannot please God. Flesh will not lead us to eternal life. Flesh will not be in heaven. Only those who are born again that are new creatures in Christ Jesus. You have a testimony today. The old is passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You have a testimony. You are not the same old creature that you used to be, but Jesus Christ through his blood has resurrected you. He has quickened you. He has made you alive again. It's a testimony. See, a testimony is the proof or the evidence of the existence of something. Now, 
When, when, when my wife and I were in Indiana Bible College, we got to sit underneath the ministry of Brother Paul Mooney, a, a pillar in my life. I just absolutely adore Brother Mooney. And, and, um, and, and, but if you ever heard him preach, which I'm sure most of us here have heard him preach multiple times, there's a phrase that he uses when he preaches. And it's, he always says it in threes. I know that I know that I know. He always says that. I know that I know that I know. See, what is, what is Brother Mooney, why does he say that? He, say, he says it because whatever it is that he's preaching about, he knows so much that there is absolutely no room for doubt in his mind. It's not the fact that he just knows about it, but he knows that he knows that he knows. See, church, how do I know that God is a healer of all manner of diseases and sicknesses? Well, we know about it because his worth, word declares that he is our great physician, that he heals all manner of diseases and sicknesses. But today I can stand boldly before you and say, I know that I know that I know that he has a healer because he has healed me. I have a testimony. How do I know that God is a deliverer and no matter what we're bound by, he can set us free? We can read about his delivering power in the scripture, but I know that I know that I know because he has delivered me. I have a testimony. Just in case you haven't caught on yet, how do I know that God is still pouring out his spirit upon all flesh? We can read about the outpouring of the gift of the Holy Ghost all throughout the book of Acts, and it alludes to it so much in the, in the uh, epistles. I don't see how anybody can't see that the Holy Ghost is for you. Amen. But I can read about it, but I know that I know that I know because he has filled me. I have a testimony. Not only do I have a testimony, church, but I have become the testimony. You have become the proof that God can set the vilest of all sinners free. You have become the proof that he can rise you up to walk in newness of life. You have become the evidence that you can be a new creature. It's the word of your testimony. You overcome. Not by my own hand, but through the blood and through the word of your testimony. What is our testimony? Our testimony is I once was lost. I'm a new creature. Now I'm found. I used to walk after the flesh. Now I walk after the spirit. There's evidence. I used to produce the fruit of the, uh, I used to produce the, the uh, um, lust of the flesh. Now I'm producing the fruit of the spirit. I used to be carnally minded. Now I'm spiritually minded. I used to walk after the flesh. Now I let the Spirit of God lead me. I walk after the Spirit. I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind. Amen. I used to be lost. Now I'm found. I used to be blind, but now I see. I'm trading my sorrow, and he's given me joy. Amen. I used to be in anguish, but he has now given me peace that passes all understanding. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, he does not leave you the same. But you become a living, breathing testimony. Of what God can do in a sinner's life. Not by your own hand. But through the blood. Through your testimony. You got to have a testimony. I am crucified with Christ nonetheless. I live. I'm dead to this world but I'm alive in him. He died so we can die to repentance. He was buried so that we could be buried with him in baptism. And he rose again so that we could rise again. To walk, not in the same old life, but newness of life. That's our testimony. It's what he has done for me. Coming to a close quickly, just give me five more minutes if that's okay. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, This is our second deputation. And our first deputation, uh, this would have been maybe 2016 around there. 
uh, we found ourselves out in rural East Texas. Rural. I learned that I say that word wrong. Rural. I say rural. I mean, R-U-L-E. We found ourselves out there in the boondocks. How about there? I can say that word. Of, of East Texas. And um, we were staying in evangelist quarters. It was wonderful. It was very, very, very nice. Very comfortable. My wife and I and our two children. Um, and uh, they had a, a microwave in the evangelist quarters. The, but, but that was it. It was your know, bed. They actually had two rooms. Two bedrooms and a little microwave and a, and a sink. Um, and it was a small town. And there wasn't many restaurants available in that town. And uh, they had a Sonic. I remember that for sure. And uh, maybe one or two other, I think they might have a Subway, something like that, and that's about it. And we were there for two weeks, Brother Gleason. And as you can tell, because of my girth, I haven't always been girthy, but I am right now. But we like to eat. We survive on food, right? <laughs> and we couldn't, we couldn't cook. We didn't have a kitchen in the evangelist quarters, Brother Nick's. And so we had to eat out every meal, breakfast lunch and dinner, and we were in this little town, only had maybe two options. So it was the same Sonic every day, every meal. We were there for two weeks. After a while, we just kind of got tired of it. Amen. Not in Kansas City. Let me emphasize that again. We were in Texas. And so my wife and I got inspired. We're going to drive, and we're going to go find the best food we can find. And what are we going to do? We're going to figure out what, what it is that we're craving. And as a red-blooded American, we chose pizza. You know, that's Bible, though. Because the Bible says man should not live by bread alone. He's saying put some marinara sauce, some cheese, and a pile of meat. Put it in the oven. That's a meal. I think I might be out of context a little bit. But I'm only here one service. So, we, but we, we, we didn't want just any pizza. Nothing against cheap pizza. But we were going to drive at least an hour. We are going to find the very best pizza we could find. In the area. So my wife was driving. I got out my cell phone. If I can get it out. And you know probably what I did. I got on Google. And I Googled best pizza in Beaumont, Texas. Because I wanted not any pizza. I wanted to find the very best. So while my wife is driving towards Beaumont. I'm scrolling through. And I had a lot of restaurants. A lot of options. And so then I began to look at the number of stars. Right. Because I'm finding the very best. I want the highest rated. So I found one that, had, if I can't remember, it was like 4.7 or something like that. Very high rated. But then you have to look at the reviews because, you know, it can be misleading. It could be a five-star restaurant. It's only got two reviews. It's the owner and the owner's mother. Right? So this one had a 4.7, I think it was, and it had a close to 1,000 reviews. Clearly, this was some good pizza. It was the very best pizza in all of Beaumont, Texas. You know what I did not do? Did not do. I did not turn to my wife who was driving and say, guess what, babe? I have just found the best pizza in all of Beaumont, Texas. Let's turn the car around. Let's go back to the evangelist quarter. Put some ramen noodles in that microwave or some popcorn and celebrate. Because we found the best pizza in all of Beaumont, Texas. No. We went there. We drove there. We ate. We wanted to taste and see if the pizza was good. Why am I telling you that ridiculous story? I'm telling you that because there are thousands of individuals, if not millions of people, all over the world who read the reviews of what God can do for them. 
Oh, I can see that he can deliver me. I see that he can fill me with the Holy Ghost. I see that he can change my life. He can pull me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But God just does not want us to read the reviews of what he can do for you. He wants you to get your very own testimony. Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Get your own testimony and say, I know that I know that I know. Not because I heard it from somebody else, but because he changed my life. He changed my life. Stand with me here tonight. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's how we overcome. See, if you have the blood of the Lamb, you have a testimony. And you got to keep that testimony at the forefront of your mind. You know, I have had people who have told me that the Holy Ghost, evidence was speaking in other tongues, is no longer available today. I'm sure you've heard people say, you know, they need to come up with some new things to ask us. They always say it's of the devil, or it's of the, which is weird since the disciples did it. They always say, that, well, it's only for the 120, but then they have to ignore the rest of the book of Acts. Or they say, well, it's only for the apostles, then they got to ignore us. They need something new to make us think. But I've had people, you know, do all those things that they tell us. But you know what? I've never doubted it, being real, because it wasn't something I had heard about only. But it was something that I experienced for myself. No one can tell me it's not real. You know that old song Brother uh, Fred Hyde wrote, it's real, it's real, I know it's real. The Pentecostal blessing, I know, I know it's real. Guess what church, I know it's real because I have a testimony. It's not just something I heard about from somebody else, but God filled me with his spirit. God washed away my sins. God made me a new creature. He took away bad habits and gave me his desires. It's a testimony. This is how we overcome. See, when the devil brings temptation into your life, you say, I got a testimony. He's done this for me, and if he did it for me then, he'll do it for me again. It's a testimony. What's the difference between Simon Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane and Simon Peter um, um, uh, on the day of Pentecost? Opposition came to Simon Peter in the Garden, or uh, to Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, uh, uh, as they they came to uh, arrest Jesus, and so Peter lashed out in anger. He drew out his sword and cut the dude's ear off. And then he ran off into the woods. And he followed from a distance, found himself in the high priest's courtyard as Jesus was being put on trial by the Jewish leaders. He warmed himself by the fire and three times people asked him, oh, you're, you're one of Jesus' disciples. You know, you know him. You're from Galilee. I, I recognize you. you. You've been around Jesus. And three times Peter denied knowing who Jesus was. This is the man who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the man who saw water turned into wine. This is the man who walked on water. This is a man who helped feed over 5,000 people uh, with two loaves, uh, uh, five loaves of bread, two fish. This is a man who had witnessed Lazarus coming out of the grave. But three times he cursed and denied even knowing who Jesus was. Day of Pentecost, opposition came again. Oh, look at these people up here speaking all these crazy languages, acting like fools. They're drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. What are these idiots doing? Can you believe they're acting like this? It's a holy day. It's a feast day. And here they are mocking all this tradition of the Feast of Pentecost or whatever it is they said. And it was Peter who stood up. He didn't run away. He didn't lash out in anger. 
But he said, no, we're not drunk as you think it we are. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel that in the last days God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. He began to preach to them about Jesus. Instead of running away, he began to preach about Jesus. And then when they were convicted after receiving the revelation of, that Jesus was the Christ, they asked him, what must we do? And it was Peter who stood up and said, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of this Holy Ghost. What was the difference between Simon Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the day of Pentecost? He had a testimony. He had heard about the spirit that would be poured out. He had heard all about the things of Jesus. But on the day of Pentecost, on that day when it was fully come, and he was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, from that moment he had his own testimony. And he could stand boldly and say, I know what I believe. I have experienced it. It's not something that I just heard secondhand from Jesus, but I have my own testimony. And I'm not going to back down for opposition. It's the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Let's lift up our hands all over this congregation. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy that you have extended our way, God. It's not my own hand that has saved me, Jesus. It's not my own abilities. It's not by my own strength. It's not by my own knowledge and education, Lord. But I can overcome, and I will overcome by the blood that you shed on Calvary. And I will overcome because you have made me a testimony, a living epistle, a living testimony of what you can do in someone's life. Hallelujah, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. Amen. These altars are open if you want to come and pray. Amen. If you need a testimony, you can receive one today. Or if you just want to thank God, amen, because of what he has accomplished in your life and how you are a new creature, you can worship him and give him glory and give him praise because it's not your own hand, but it's what he did for you. Hallelujah, Jesus, we praise your name. Hallelujah, Jesus, we exalt you here this evening. Oh, thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for giving us a testimony. Oh, Lord, help me to never think that it's because of my own works, that it's because of my own hand, because of my own abilities, God, that I am saved, God. But help me remember the only reason why I've overcome here today is by your blood, by the transformation power your place in my life, God. Oh, yes, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.